Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Uh, we are gathered here to worship today uh, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And because of this week, and I hope you're all ready for the holidays because it's like Thanksgiving's late and we only got three weeks, four weeks before Christmas. Um, we are going to step aside from our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We will resume it after the holidays. And uh, being that Thanksgiving kind of kicks off this uh, season of uh, celebrating Thanksgiving and Christmas, Thanksgiving sometimes gets uh, diminished or overlooked, but it is such an important aspect of the Christian life and part of our uh, our joy, the joy of our heart in relationship to God. And so I'd like to uh, really turn our attention to thanksgiving and think about it as a spiritual discipline in our lives that we uh, practice and we live in. Um, we're going to be looking at a big, big psalm, so... Uh, I've, I, hope you guys are planning to stay a while. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've got my eye on the clock. Uh, But we are going to be looking at Psalm 107. So if you grab your Bible, supposedly the Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. You flip it open, you should hit the Psalms, and then you can find 107. And it's a fairly good Psalm, so we'll, we'll walk through that. We, uh, in recent days, as you're turning there, in recent days we've uh, realized uh, a new, uh, maybe not all that new, but a newer phenomenon of reality TV shows. Uh, There was once that uh, very popular Survivor, I don't know if it's on anymore, but, uh, and then there's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and The Kardashians and maybe now The Masked Singer, Uh, all of these. Uh, reality shows that are presented to us as watching reality. Now, one of the reality shows that I do watch is, um, it's on the cooking channel. Uh, So I'm not too hip, I guess. Uh, But you probably have heard of it, the Restaurant Impossible. I always thought that was an interesting one. You have this chef who goes to a restaurant that's falling down and doesn't not making the budget and the workers are all mad at each other and there's no organization and no structure family members are involved and it gets to be quite a deal and you get to watch reality at least that's what they say and it is kind of interesting it's amazing it makes you think wow i could maybe run a restaurant not really uh (laughs) It's fairly demanding, and what is interesting about it is, is they, you know, there's usually some kind of personality conflicts or challenges, and some family members, and it gets rather heated, and and you just don't know how it all worked out, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the show, you know, the restaurant's up and going, there's lines of people out there, it's been renovated, new menu, everything is wonderful, and that's reality. <laughs> I think I, I did hear that they came to Columbia, if, if I remember right. I heard something about it and renovated a restaurant across town or something. I have to go try it out. Maybe there's still lines. All of these reality shows are 
designed to show us real life, right? That's why we watch them. They give us a slice of life. They bring us into a real life situation. It's not organized and orchestrated. It's not a story just made up that we're drawn into, but something that's really happening, real challenges. Of course, you know, you don't usually enter real life with commercial breaks, where you can go in the kitchen and get something to eat and drink and kind of think about it and do something else and relax and change, you know, your position. You know, when you get hit with real life, you don't have those breaks. But we think of reality TV as real life. And we are captivated because we, that it has that flavor of real life. And, and that's part of the problem. But, you know, Part of the problem is is that we get that flavor of real life through a TV, through an electronic box, and then we carry around our phones and we, we, uh, we get captivated and think that real life is what's going on in, you know, in the cyber world and the opinions of others and what we're into. But when we, once in a while, face real life, we're shocked and shaken and put back into real life at times when we encounter hard things, sad things, difficult things. You know, some people, uh, if you live in New York or Washington, think of 9-11 as a real-life situation that they never really escape. Their lives can be categorized as pre-9-11 and post-9-11. Because they still, in, on a daily basis, realize the family members they lost and the trauma of that experience. And it never really leaves them. You know, real life crashes in on our lives and really brings us into reality when we think about, you know, the, the traumatic situation of the tsunami out of the Indian Ocean that, that hit 11 countries in that area and 220,000 people died real life smacks us in the face sometimes we get entertained and we're captivated by things we watch and our phones our devices but what's important is that we don't mix and mistake those things for real life and real life happens to us I mean there was the earthquake in Asia and there's been hurricanes in America there's tornadoes that wreak havoc and there are things that happen in our life that shake us to the core and when we come to a time of Thanksgiving in the season of Thanksgiving we realize that there are hardships that confront us there are catastrophes there are physical challenges there are relationship challenges And what we need is a connection with someone who handles real life. We hear questions when real life happens to us. Where is God in suffering? Why must there be suffering? What causes this? Is there any meaning in tragedy? Does God know my pain? It is often the people of the church, the people of God who step into these real-life situations. And we step into those real-life situations because we have a belief that God meets us in those spots, in those places. 
like the article in the L.A. Times about the aftermath of the high school shooting at Sagas High School in Santa Clarita, California on November 14th. The writer of the Times is Sandy Banks, and she entitled her article, When Grace is What Heals. The shooting at Sagas High School left two people dead and three others injured until the gunman turned the gun on himself, and he was later pronounced dead. In the article, it says five days after the shooting, the schools were all closed, but its churches were open and busy. She said that the churches, cathedrals, and synagogues became impromptu gathering spots for heart-sick residents. They offered spiritual guidance and more, providing also practical needs. The churches, the church was where frightened young victims went and waited after the shooting for the police to come and interview them. And it was also where mental health counselors were available within hours from the tragedy. The question being asked by families at that time was, how do we return to normal? And what do we do with so much pain? These are questions that the media asked as well. In this case, we see the community coming together and instinctively you see them coming together at houses of worship. As police and police families who had kids in the school heard about that shooting, they were first responders. But Grace Bible and Real Life Church, who were in the neighborhood, were the places of first responders for the soul. Sandy Banks writes, personally and appropriately, about how she was moved by the intensity of the moment. And she noted how many students talked about prayer and referenced God in their communication. And it didn't come off as thoughts and prayers cliche, but much more like a spontaneous expression of confidence in God. Remember, this is a report in the L.A. Times. For the churches also, the experience of this ministry was very personal. One mother said that many of the students of Sagas High School had experienced the ministry themselves through these churches. And speaking of Grace Baptist there, she went on to say that outside the church was a field and a thousand teenagers after the shooting gathered there and Grace Baptist had been ministering and knew those kids from a young age and was there to help. In the article, the reporter was trying to give explanation to this religious emphasis by saying that religion is an anchor. It's fundamental, unchanging, across most faith traditions. It's been passed down through the generations and it can be very helpful in light of the unsettling events of this shooting at the school on a Thursday. Certainly there was a gathering of people at the churches as a centering event, trying to understand their place in the cosmos. But also this was a drawing near to the presence of God and in the midst of real life and real tragedy, expressing confidence in God and that he meets us in those places. It was an act of faith as the students sought God because they wondered, 
Does God know where we are and does he care? In our text this morning, it reveals to us a God who is intimately acquainted with our lives and with our sufferings. He knows our trials and he, and he is the one who can handle real life. It is not a threatening challenge to him. And he can be trusted. It reveals to us a God who is a deliverer. A God who heals his people and acts in the world. And we gain confidence in God as we turn to him in thankfulness. Recognizing that God inspires our thankfulness. And we see his grace and providential control in the circumstances of our lives. So Psalm 107 is about that. It is about seeing the hand of God meeting people. Meeting his people in the midst of challenge and difficulty. And because of that faithful love and his care for his people. It inspires a thanksgiving that offers up into praise and worship our lives. So we're going to read Psalm 107, and you can see that it's a fairly long psalm. So let me give a little instruction and a little orientation as we prepare to read. And and I know this is a family Sunday, and there's uh, probably kids in here that usually go to children's church I'd invite them to take this psalm you can do this even while I'm talking (laughs) take this psalm and read through it and circle all the words that repeat all the phrases that repeat and that will help you realize the division and the emphasis of the psalm so this psalm is a psalm encouraging thanksgiving and it comes out of the context of the Israelites coming out of Babylon, being freed from exile and returning to Jerusalem. And it is God's deliverance of them. And what is so unusual or surprising about this psalm, and it's instructive for us as well, is that when God does deliver us, when he saves us, when he provides for us, we have to be reminded to be thankful seems like the exiles coming out of Babylon, heading back to Jerusalem, should have been automatically thankful. But this psalm reminds them to be thankful, and down through the ages it reminds God's people to be thankful. And that's why we're taking up the topic for ourselves, thinking about being thankful. And one of the, at the heart of this psalm is a picture of who God is. And that looking at God and seeing what he's like and how he responds to us inspires our thankfulness. So the division is, verses 1 through 3, you have an exhortation to be thankful. It's just a call to be thankful. In verses 4 through 32, a pretty good-sized section, it's probably the part we'll focus on most, are four stories of people in various kinds of situations and kind of attitudes towards life and kind of ventures in life who live their life and then find that they are in great need of God and call out to God. And he answers. It's four pictures of God's redemption. 
And then in the final section, verse 33 through 43, we hear of the picture, or we see the picture of God's sovereignty over his people, over the world, and where he establishes his loyal love towards his people, but also separates away those who reject him. And that there is wisdom in hoping in God's unfailing love. Let's uh, read this passage together. In the first service, I forgot to say, this is the word of the Lord. and Thanks be to God, so I'll try to remember to do that. This is a long psalm. (laughs) Starting verse 1, Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered, and these are the pictures, some wandered, and you'll notice each picture starts with some. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners, suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor and they stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became foolish, some, some again, some became foolish through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down into the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then he cried, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. 
They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and the wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt in him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. And then the last section. He turns rivers into deserts, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He churned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them and their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers Decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless land. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see this and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So we see uh, three major sections of this uh, psalm, and I'll probably deal mostly with one and two. First, verses one through three, the exhortation to thanksgiving because of God's unfailing love. It, It starts off this psalm and then is repeated several times throughout the psalm of the conclusion of each picture of God's redemption and grace. It is, it starts with a call, and you should also notice that the Psalms were written for the congregation. So there is an expectation that there would be a celebration of God's goodness together when we gather together. And uh, I certainly see that and experience that when we sing and when we celebrate, when we pray. We gather together to realize that God is here and we sing of eternal truths of what he is doing, of his unfailing love to us. But here, this one starts off with an exhortation to thanksgiving because God cares for his people. And as I said, the backdrop maybe is probably the exile. But what we see in all of scripture is that God cares for his people and that he has been busy Working to develop for himself, to call for himself a people unto himself. And this was part of the calling of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. He didn't take his hand off of that people. But then as it went into the New Testament, that that hand of grace and love and inclusion expanded to include all people. And it harkens back to the very beginning promise that God wanted to touch all the peoples of the earth in that promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That in Abraham, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And we see uh, this work of God in caring for and bringing together and, and nurturing and watching over his people in the Old Testament was a real experience for the Israelite people in the Old Testament. 
But I'm here to say it's a real experience for us as New Testament believers. For God has a people from the Jews and the Gentiles. And God has a heart for those people. And the culmination of that picture is in Revelation 5 and several other places where there is the picture of the great throne of God and the people gathered before that throne from every tribe, from every people, and from every nation. And God is caring for his people, redeeming his people, restoring his people, and guiding his people to his desired end. That is the kingdom of Christ. And living with the benefits of God's grace and unfailing love poured out on our lives. So the, call, the, the whole psalm calls us to give thanks to God for his love endures forever. Let those in the congregation say so. We've been redeemed by the love of God. And then it moves on to the pictures. The pictures of deliverance that display God's unfailing love. And these are four different situations. Four situations that aren't particularly the situation of every believer. But they are situations that every believer can identify with and recognize and see in their own lives. And what is on display in every picture is the unfailing love of God. And the way that he cares and benefits humankind. So in the first picture, we see the saved wanderer. As Kidder, uh, not Kidder, Kidner. <laughs> As Kidner, the great Old Testament commentator says, wanderers retrieved. The description here in this first section is of lost people. Some wandered in desert wastelands having no city, no direction, no purpose, no plan. They are hungry and thirsty. And what we see is the people of the earth having no direction and just looking for answers, trying to meet their immediate needs. And oftentimes, as we give ourselves to those things, we end up hungry and thirsty and our lives are ebbing away with no purpose and no anchor in God's ultimate plan and design for us as his people. But the good news is then they cried out to the Lord. I think of this passage as indicative of us as people who know the Lord we too can find ourselves in this place of wandering. I'm reminded of that, that famous old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there is a line in that song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy throne above. What we see here is a wanderer. But a wanderer who is retrieved because they realize they're not going in the right direction. They're lost in their, their purposes and their desires for living. It's, it's ending up being in a place of hungering and thirsting. And then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivers them in their distress. Notice what he says. He led them by straight ways to a city where they could settle. 
God has a destination. God has a plan and purpose for his people. And as we get caught up in sin and lostness and rebellion and captivated by the world, what we celebrate is that we gather together. We're God's people. We give thanks to God because God meets us in our real life trouble. He is there when we call out to him. And the Israelites, they sang these psalms as they went in worship because God has showed himself faithful over and over again. The second picture in verse 10, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands. This isn't just the lost person who doesn't know God's direction, is not paying attention, is trying to find their own way. No, they, they've heard the voice of God. They understand what God is directing them to. And they have set their heart against God. And they are rebelling and going the other direction. And he therefore, in verse 12, subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled. And there was no help. As I read that, I think of my own life in my teens, and running away from God, growing up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor and believed in Jesus early on in life. But then in my teens and middle, middle school, eighth grade, ninth grade, decided I wasn't going to follow God. I want to do my own thing. And I directly turned around and went against God. And in the same way, he bowed my head, my subjected to bitter labor. I stumbled. Because all of the plans and purposes I had were falling through my fingers. And finally, through his grace and his patience, years of mess-ups, I cried out to the Lord. Even though I was rebellious and had rejected him, he met me in real life, in my rebellion. He brought me, it says in verse 14, he brought, me, brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. He frees the rebellious. That is the heart of God. He is faithful, unfailing in his love and his wonderful deeds towards man. He breaks the gates of the bronze, the bronze gates, and he breaks the bars of iron. He delivers, he sustains, he redeems. Third picture is being saved from foolish addiction. Verse 17, some become fools through their rebellious ways and suffer affliction because of their iniquities. And I think Addiction is the word here. For verse 18, they loathe all food and draw near the gates of death. This is a little deeper level in rebellion. And, and they are captivated in that rebellion to the degree that they start laying aside the very fundamental things that they need and pursue death and destruction. Reminds me of a girl I met and talked to who was at Teen, teen Challenge, and uh, there's one in Jeff City, and they're around, but they're kind of uh, rehab facilities for drug abuse. Hearing this girl's story about being dealing with meth, 
and how she longed for it and entered into that and then it got a hold of her and how she pursued it so much that she began to lose her health. She lost all her family ties. She had turned everyone against her as she pursued that road. And it's a terrible road to go down. It's captivating. The grip on that person was powerful. But the news of this psalm is that when she cried out to the Lord, The Lord heard her. The Lord in his unfailing love came to her. He met her in real life, in her real brokenness, in her real need. And the people of God celebrate a God who does that. And we hear of his deliverance. He sent his word in verse 20 and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give sacrifices, thank offerings, and tell of his works through songs of joy. Because God delivers us, his broken people. It's a wonderful psalm of the picture of God's heart and compassion towards us people in need. Verse 23, this is the The fourth picture. Some went on the sea in ships, and they were merchants in the mighty waters. And then, while they were pursuing, they encountered the stirring up of a tempest, and the the waves, and the storms on the sea. So much so, that their, their abilities, their their skills at handling the rough waters of life had been destroyed. They were at the end of themselves. Look at verse 27. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. What we see is people encountering real life, real difficulties, real hurts. And the question of our hearts is, Does God know? Does he care? Is there a reason for this? Is there any strength in this situation? And over and over again, this psalm of thanksgiving, calling us to recognize the greatness of God and the unfailing love of God, says that God meets us in our pain and our suffering. This last picture on the seas and the ships, Merchants, really, that is a picture of ambition. A desire to fill their life with what life offers, to satisfy their hungers and their desires. I think of St. Augustine in his book, The Confessions. St. Augustine, a profound theologian, uh, a scholar in rhetoric. Not till he was later in life did he become a Christian. And before that, he was just a young man with great gifts of intellect and ability. And he was born in Africa and moved up into Italy and, and wanted to make a name for himself. And became a professor of rhetoric. But also take in all the joys of life. Chart his own course. He was filled with ambition. All the while, he had a mother back at home praying for his salvation every day. 
And as he traveled the seas from Africa to Italy, as he was filled with ambition, he threw himself into every kind of entertainment there was with many opportunities of jumping into bed with many people. Talks about his infatuation and captivation by going to the the cathedrals or the uh, auditoriums where people would be torn to shreds and watching the live deaths. And the blood would give him such joy. He was filled with ambition trying to find answers to his life. But then the tempest came and his life was falling apart. And he had no answers. He was totally destitute. And then he was open to hear the voice of God. And he cried out to God. And God answered him. Reminds me of what St. Augustine said concerning the Christian gospel. He said it wasn't just the answer to an intellectual question. Though it was that, it was more. It was shelter in a storm. A port for a wayward soul. Nourishment for a prodigal who is famished and at the end. Whose heart had become, he said, a famished wasteland. It was, he would later say, like someone had finally showed him his home country. Though he'd never been there before. It was the father he'd spent a lifetime looking for, saying to him, welcome home. In all four of these pictures we see a God of deliverance. God of salvation, God of redemption, God of grace. God who inspires thanksgiving because of his unfailing love to us who know our need, our sin, our rebellion, our lostness, our ungodly ambitions. Yet when we cry out to him, he is there. He will meet us in real life. So as we enter into this Thanksgiving season, as we think about this psalm, and I'll leave with you the last part of the psalm, verses 33 through 43, which is a declaration of God's sovereignty over the lives of his people. It is of a different kind. It is not a picture. It describes the sovereignty of God and his providence and his control over all of life, blessing those who trust him, putting down those who choose to sin against him and encouraging us to rejoice in his unfailing love and to ponder his deeds of love. This psalm should cause us to take three kinds of postures. First, God-inspired thanksgiving will cause us to believe God is capable of changing anything, any circumstance, any situation, no matter how hard it may be. Second, God-inspired thanksgiving. And what I mean by that is that we see God. 
We see his grace, we see his redemption, and we're thankful for it. God-inspired thanksgiving reminds us of the deliverance and rescue that we have seen and experienced. And believing that it can be seen and experienced by others. Third, God-inspired thanksgiving looks to God with confidence that he will accomplish his purposes. That we can stand in faith and trust in him. And he will achieve a great redemption through this life, in real life. Therefore, we live life with thankful hearts, looking to God and his redemption everywhere. For he is up to great things. Let's pray. Lord, you are a God of grace and love and mercy. Lord, you continue to pursue your people. You pursue people in need of you. We travel down many wrong roads. We seek our own blessings, our own designs, our own ambitions, our own purposes. And times we are even rebellious against you. But Lord, you can bend our hearts. Churn us towards yourself. And when we cry to you, you respond. Lord, may we be thankful. Thankful this Thanksgiving season. Because of who you are and the grace you've shown. And your unfailing love. May we ponder that every day. May we live in your unfailing love every day. In Jesus' name, amen.